0: Few people know more about winning in Formula One than Toto Wolff. For the Mercedes team principal, anything other than first feels like failure.
1: Winning lasted overnight. The feeling was gone and you were thinking about the next race. But when losing, I felt it so much as a personal downfall that it lasted for a few days.
0: The 115 race wins, eight constructors' championships and seven drivers' titles won under Toto's leadership so far are in the past. And so now it's 2022, a season where the Silver Arrows fell short of the target.
1: In the organisation, nobody's shy to say that we've done a bad job here. There's no hiding, there's no seeking for explanation how we ended up there. I mean, all of us are saying we got this very wrong and others got it very right. With our learnings, I think we will be back in a more potent form next year. But is it a given? Certainly not. Welcome to F1 Beyond the
0: Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Toto always says you learn the most when you don't win. So the end of a difficult season is really the best time to be talking to him. As you've just heard he's very open about the team's problems in 2022 there's much more about the car why its bouncing problems slowed them down and how they're looking to improve for 2023 we look back at the high point of the past season george russell's win in brazil and why toto actually isn't sorry he wasn't at the racetrack to celebrate with the team in person that's a great insight into his leadership style He talks about managing the pressure on himself and the team, he shares his occasional loneliness without his friend, the late great champion Nicky Lauda, and he's in awe of another great champion, Lewis Hamilton, and how he helps pick up the team in low moments. Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo, Mick Schumacher and Mattia Benotto also came up and Toto picked his favourite Mercedes race victory so far. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Toto, it's great to see you. Thank you for inviting me to Monaco. It's a beautiful day outside and it's snowing in parts of the UK. So I'm starting to understand the attraction of this place in winter.
1: Yes, but we can't really see a lot because we're in an office here. The lights are on, the building opposite is high. So yeah, we are not, it's not what it it seems to be. Well, it's lovely to be here and it's great to see you, although you're
0: sounding a bit croaky. Is that sort of post Formula One season illness that most people get?
1: Absolutely. Normally I would get it bang on the first day of holiday. So I'm really happy this time it happened two weeks early. So hopefully I can, I can ski this time around. (laughs) Well, you're looking
0: very relaxed. Is that because it's over?
1: 2022
0: is confined to the history books?
1: No, I think uh, I've um, learned over the years to compartmentalize. And uh, although it is difficult to go through a season like this one, uh, there is a, there's a real life outside, and there is um, the commercial side of things in the F1 team, the organisation, which I really like to be part of. So, yeah, things are things are good, and um, an interesting challenge that waits for us.
0: Just reflecting on the last twelve months, if we could, do, do you see it as your anus horribilis?
1: In terms of performance, you can say that after eight consecutive constructor title. Titles um, coming out of the blocks and being half a second off, and I'm being um, rather on the optimistic side here, was certainly something you need to get used to. We talked about it these last eight years: how we would react if that were to happen, um, how would we cope with with losing, and inevitably we knew that it, that one day it's gonna it's gonna happen, and here we are. And I think I'm particularly proud on the team how we have recovered through the season because it wasn't a one-race blip. Um, it wasn't that there was a clear trajectory that was going up only, but we had good races and then we fell back. Um, and at the end, I think we are we much closer to the two arrivals, the front-running cars than we were at the beginning of the season. You've often
0: spoken about the necessity of failure in order to improve. How did the reality stack up? What were the principal lessons?
1: I absolutely believe that you have to fail and get it wrong to prosper. There is no sports team in the world that won every single championship they entered. So the learnings have been tough because talking about it is one thing. But then seeing this phenomenon come back weekend and weekend, it really tests the organization and it tests your values. And I think we had our moments When I look back, uh, there was a certain degree of pressure, maybe too much that I put on the organization at times, but it made me learn, learn about the strengths and the weaknesses of the organization. And at the end, it comes back to the sentence, the days we lose are the days our competitors will regret because we learn the most. And uh, hopefully the future will be proof of that. When did you apply the most pressure? Was that at the start of the season? No, I think when it sunk in that we didn't really understand how to fix some of the car issues and it wasn't that it was the purposing or whether it was um, a suspension problem. It was basically every stone you, you you turned around had a problem. And then we went to Barcelona and we had a solid race weekend and it looked like that we were slowly getting on top of things and then things were getting, getting dire again. We eventually finish the first half of the season with a very strong race and particularly qualifying in Budapest. And then you end up three weeks later in Spa and you're far off the leaders and the same in Monza. So that was at times quite difficult to manage your own expectations because after Budapest, you go into the Spa week and say, well, are we able to challenge for the front runners? And you find yourself in the midfield. But again, this is this is a lesson how you manage your own expectations and what, um, how to handle if you fail. Did you ever get on top of the bouncing?
0: Or did you just find a way of the car
1: working with the bouncing? We believe that we solved the underlying problem of the bouncing. But not all of that can be done, Could have could have been done on the 2022 car. So we believe it's going to be easier next year. We are changing some of the architecture and the layout of the car that um, should point us in the right direction. But um, as it is with these new regulations, um, sometimes you you uncover one problem and then you realize there was another underneath. So we have to be humble and uh, not feel a sense of entitlement that we're going to get back into this championship and and win straight from the get go. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Without the budget cap, could you have solved the issues with the W13 during the season
1: no it wouldn't have made a difference because we're not lacking the capability or we're not we weren't weren't lacking any any of the tools nor time it was more that we needed to peel off layer by layer in order to get to the, the ground of the problem so it wouldn't have changed anything
0: are there any parts of the w13 that you're actually proud of and that will be carried over to next year's car or is it are you just starting again
1: I'm proud by the boldness that we put into this m- new car when you look at the narrow sideboard concept which had absolutely nothing to do with the car not performing it's something that I'm proud of how we came about in finding that design and putting it on the car and then there is many other areas that were really good a power unit that that has really done us well throughout the season, and uh, reliability was great too. And also on the chassis side, I think we had a we had a high peak downforce. We just couldn't run the car where where we would be able to generate that.
0: Toto, you've had the most incredible journey with Mercedes, and the trajectory has been vertical for the last eight years. How difficult has this blip been for you personally to deal with?
1: Not difficult, you know. I had to cope in my life with difficult situations, and that that didn't even move the needle. I think the end of last year was more difficult because it wasn't our own doing. What happened at the end of the season? This year, you just have to be honest to yourself, and we you got the physics wrong. It is it is what it is, and sometimes in Formula One, it takes time to recover. But I believe in the organization there's not one person i doubt nor our structure and in that respect it's just trying to be patient and uh, composed and my character is a little bit different so i needed i needed to adapt but you know this is purely a professional racing aspect of my doing nothing that would you know encompass my whole life Toto,
0: so you say um, you have complete faith in the organization, in the people that you have. I'm going to play devil's advocate and just say, why didn't the organization and the people see the bouncing coming when others did?
1: Because we got it wrong. I think even the best people can get it wrong. And my my assumption of why a team would function, but that I learned back in the Williams days, is that you have to have... The right infrastructure, financial resource, good drivers, powerful engine, the right organization, and enough time to put it all together. And these ingredients would make sure that you are competitive. Now winning can be something else, or winning a championship is on a different is a different thing, but we have all that. We haven't suddenly taken a stupid pill winning the constructor championship last December, and then in March, being nowhere, is very easy. We got the concept wrong. We underestimated the effect when running the car very low. And others have done a better job, whether they knew the effect from past days or they were simply uh, more focused on this particular area of car behavior. I don't know. But in the organization, nobody's shy to say that we've done a bad job here very easy there's no there is no other there's no hiding there is no seeking for explanation how we ended up there I mean all of us are saying we got this very wrong and others got it very right so how does 2023 look are you confident that you can win races plural I'm always a half empty glass guy and I see the risks and as a matter of fact if you're being or if you're trying to be logical Red Bull was very dominant throughout the seasons they wouldn't have won, God knows what, 15 races it is, is was or more. and um, And also towards the end. So it's going to be very difficult to have a development slope that is steeper than theirs and also Ferrari. But I believe in the organization and fundamentally it's not about a lack of downforce, but it's about a problem in making that downforce work on the car. And I think with our learnings and the the values in the in the team, the empowerment, the no-blame culture. I think we will be back in a more potent form next year, hopefully winning races on merit and fighting for a championship. But is it a given? Certainly not.
0: Helmut Marco has said that he thinks you guys are gonna cause Red Bull more problems in
1: 2023 than Ferrari. What's your reaction to that? I mean, Helmut knows a lot about racing. And um, if he says that, um, obviously, you have to accept that. But he talked us up also at the beginning of the season that we would sort out things and we weren't able to sort them out. But yeah, the, the comments, um, you will always have them positive or negative. And uh, we just at the end fundamentally need to, you know, do the best possible job and return to competitiveness.
0: You've just said that you're a glass half empty kind of guy. So has this season crystallized in your view whether you're motivated by the lure of success or or the fear of failure
1: that's a very interesting point because all of these years I've been always wary of the of the feeling when losing winning lasted overnight landing back in Europe the feeling was gone and you were thinking about the next race but when losing I felt it so much as a personal downfall that it lasted for a few days and it's funny how your brain protects yourself because you, you manage your expectations you are half a second behind the next race you're your two and a half and your brain says well that's actually solid but it's not you have to always reassess yourself on the baseline and that was last year or the year before this is what we expect from ourselves so Every time I'm getting too comfortable with the situation, every time I'm not having the butterflies before a race, I actually worry whether, you know, am I still fully in this? But I am. Did you get used to finishing third, fourth, fifth? Yeah, that's again how the brain saves us. We 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 are being, you know, we are protect ourselves collectively all around the world from our own mediocrity by seeing that, you know, by coping with such a situation. And in that respect, you're starting to see the positives. You're seeing race pace that was good and um, reliability that was good. But at the end, you know, there's no hiding. The lap time never, the stopwatch never lies and you come back, whether it is second, third or fourth, you're just not winning. And that is fundamentally what what we fight for.
0: Taito, I'm fascinated about how you have coped with I hate using the word failure because you still finished third in the World Championship and won a Grand Prix. But by your recent standards, it feels like a failure. And how you've evolved over the last 10 years, because it is 10 years that you've been at the team in, in February. Have you become more competitive and more, more ferocious in the way that you go racing as you've grown with the team?
1: No, I think I've always been competitive. Very competitive because first of all, I like to meet my own expectations and the standards I set for myself and the organization, but also because we're in a relative sport. So that has stayed the same every single season, but obviously it had, has, been a, has been a journey I learned as a, I developed as a personality, good things and bad things. And I wouldn't want to miss the 2022 season because I grew, I grew as a mensch. You were 39 when you took the helm. You're now 50. 49 plus one.
0: (laughs) Okay. You're going to start counting down, right? When you get to 50, you never get to 51. You always go to 49 next, back to 49. But what is your
1: proudest achievement here at Mercedes? For me, it's really difficult. I don't even remember how the last few races went. I never look back. So on my journey with the team, I couldn't even tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we have achieved in the past. I'm also proud in what we have achieved in 2022. I just em, enjoy being part of the team. I'm sure there's going to be great moments in the future and there's going to be tough situations, but it's all part of the journey.
0: You've won 115 races with this team. So this is a difficult question for you to answer, but if there's one race, one race victory that you could pluck out, which one would it be?
1: You know i didn't i didn't even know that it was 115 i knew it was somewhere around 100 but one race i think in 2014 there was a race the race in austria where i was still you know emotionally connected to williams susie was part of the team i think i even held some shares back then and um, we finished first second third and fourth with mercedes and williams in a row um, as a as a corner of these two teams and um, i remember driving home the same road that i used to commute when i was an instructor in the racing school on the on the red bull ring and uh, there was this this unbelievable feeling of uh, it can't possibly be happening you know that i'm in formula one i'm responsible for a team and uh, we just you know we just scored the first four positions and that was a really happy moment a dominant moment <laughs> yeah dominance only lasts for you know these few hours you 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 collect the trophy and the wheel continues to turn mm.
0: what about Nicky lauda how much have you missed his influence
1: this year foremost i miss him as a friend we spend so much time together traveling to every race every single dinner on other race weekends we would have together and discuss what happened during the day or family matters and uh, you know that the friend is gone it's and it's like a past part of my whole being in Formula One is missing and I had to recalibrate but there are evenings where I don't feel like meeting anybody, anybody else or going to events where I knew this would have been an evening that I would sit with Nicky on a table and have a laugh. And these days are gone, so I have room service by my own. So yeah, he's been, I think about him every single day. And uh, particularly this season also, I'm sure he would have been a great sparring partner and sounding board. But on the few occasions
0: when he was alive that the chips were down, what was his take on that situation?
1: He loved it. When things were too easy, he got bored. So when it got tough, this is where his determination came out. He was he was feeling and being right on it. What can we do to, to change that? Yeah, he was he was very good at simplifying things and you're overthinking that. You know, it's gotta come down to a single solution. And that's something that I have learned from him, sometimes not to overthink too much. You think you do overthink things? Well, I don't actually know what overthinking means. I do think a lot and I'm trying to put things together. Eventually the jigsaw makes sense. Do you over plan instead of just reacting to what's going on? Or is that the job of a team principal? I think you need to have a strategy and you at the same time need to be prepared to have setbacks and uh, findings that didn't correspond to what you expected. But it's also so it's, it's an active and reactive game. Now, you say
0: that without Nicky it's room service and, and I'm sure it's not. But who is your sounding board without him?
1: Believe me, it is. When I'm not having Susie with me at the races or a friend, then it can be quite a, a lonely moment because I don't want a small talk. I want to leave my team in peace also to have their carries and their get together because when I'm there, maybe that's more stressful. So yeah, it is room service, literally. But it gives me time to think. I read somewhere that you have the
0: same meals when you're at races, is that right? It's chicken and salad or something. Is that, is that your standard staple?
1: Yeah, I try to be um, disciplined, not to get out of my routine. And a race weekend, there's, there's a, it's already uh, stressful. I have a lot of obligations. I don't want to have any, you know, adventures in terms of food. So yeah, I'm always having the same for breakfast, for lunch, and dinner.
0: But what about someone like Hans Werner Alfrich? Does he, someone you still talk about racing to?
1: Yes, I do, and I spoke to him yesterday I actually owe him a call today because he's a very wise man that has created this um, um, unbelievable AMG brand and he's still active in the various racing series yeah he's, he's a resource that I use um, now maybe you know it has flipped also the other way around I became a sensible um, sounding board for him so yeah he's a he's a he's a great man what about uh, Pep Guardiola? We saw you
0: with him at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, obviously very different sports, but are there parallels
1: and things that you can learn from each other? Yes, we were on stage in a Q&A with, um, invited by Puma, and the two of us. We didn't know each other, but when I heard him talking, it was like my sentences, the same approach. And he, he said the same about me. Fundamentally, it's down to human management. And um, yeah, someone that is certainly going to be part of my journey going forward because just on the, he was just on the same wavelengths, and even the family was on the on the same wavelengths um, between Susie and I. So exciting um, personality.
0: But if there's one slogan that you and Pep would share, what would that be? Poo,
1: well, I don't know him enough to be to say one slogan, but um, trust your instinct.
0: And just back to Nikki, I, I love the moment last week when you unveiled Louder Drive, a lovely moment. I was wondering how you decided upon Louder Drive and not Louder Avenue, Louder Way. I Whose idea it, was Louder Drive? I think Drive? it was
1: Raynard Drive before, Adrian Raynard. But I'm not sure about that. I'm really bad in, in those things. And also when fair credit to Bradley and the marketing team to have had this idea... Um, but at the end, we had, we had quite a laugh because Nicky would have ridiculized this. What are you guys doing? Who cares anyway? And there were, there were quite some crowds when we unveiled it, and Nicky would have said, Why are you not working? Um, so it was a good way of remembering Nicky, how he was. Let's talk about uh,
0: current drivers now Lewis Hamilton. He has 103 wins to his name, but none since Saudi Arabia 2021. How tough has this season been for him?
1: Extremely tough because we have given him a tool that wasn't capable of winning. And on top of that, the drivers had a car that was unpredictable, unstable, good at times, not good at others not really something you can work with and develop, but as a personality, how he has gone through the season is really admirable. There were times when the team fell down because of the non-performance and this where he picked the people up and motivated them. And that is truly management and personality traits that I have not seen with a professional sportsman before. Lewis has been here as long as you Do you see him as part
0: of the management now?
1: I would say yes. Obviously there's his involvement in developing the car and his presence in the factory. But I think on the race weekends, he has become such a senior figure. Maybe a little bit like Michael was back in the day or I think about Tom Brady in football teams that you become more, than just the player or just the driver, but you, you're emotionally part of the team. And he definitely is. He's not a, like we called them in the past, contractor. Drivers come, get paid, and they leave for the next better occasion. But he's been with the team now 10 years. He's a team member. Were you surprised that George
0: Russell had the better run of results in the first, certainly first third of the season?
1: I didn't really look at the results so much because we didn't, we didn't race for wins and both drivers are calibrated to put themselves in a position to win and the car was simply not good enough. They worked together in trying to get it to a sweeter spot and um, that didn't really work out. So I don't think it really mattered for them at the beginning whether one finished second and the other one third or the other way around. It's irrelevant and in the same way all the results through the year were irrelevant. I'm happy for George that he won his first race and that was important after the Bahrain situation two years ago. But Lewis also told told me about not winning a race this season as a first. Absolutely no problem with that. Plays no role.
0: Do you feel that Abu Dhabi 2021 was still playing on his mind at the start of the year and affecting him
1: in the cockpit? No, I don't think so. I think maybe because he's able to also go to the race weekends and concentrate on the job, Abu Dhabi 2021 is gonna affect us for a long time or forever maybe, but it's more these more random moments where you sit down and and think about these last few minutes where decisions have been made that were contradictory to the the ethos of the sport, but it's not on the race weekends.
0: You say you might be affected by Abu Dhabi
1: forever,
0: I was gonna ask you how long it took you to move on from that race, but are you saying, actually there's a part of you that is still very much living with it?
1: No, I think we moved on, and I personally moved on with Susie because it, you know, we were there, both of us. As soon as we accepted the result, and I think we didn't want to drag it on, into the courtroom, because even if we were to have a case, I think you couldn't have remedied it. And we didn't want to win any courtroom battle. Um, Max is a deserving champion. So was Lewis On that particular day, it was same points made the best man win, and that wasn't the case. So it is sealed. The championship is sealed. It's done, and we shouldn't continue to drag on. Now, you know, I'm talking with you against uh, again on a podcast. So in a way, I'm guilty of only because I asked you asked yes yeah, so we should <laughs> stop it Marx is a double world champion he's a deserving world champion mistakes were made the FA acknowledged it and we got to move on and this it doesn't mean that those moments um, of thinking back will not come uh, into my mind because uh, spotting fairness is extremely important and the stopwatch never lies but maybe on that day it did a bit
0: what about a couple of weeks ago did it feel weird being back in Abu Dhabi did it
1: trigger a whole load of emotions in you no, zero. I was in the same hotel room, same program. Not a single thought about
0: that. So look, George Russell, what's he given you this year that you weren't getting
1: from Valtteri Bottas? Both are totally different characters. Valtteri had great races, um, super fast on his day. And um, just um, Luis had the upper hand. And George comes in very fresh the Dominant spelling, karting in the junior formulas, confident but not overconfident, respectful but still challenging, and uh, what I have hoped for in terms of the attitude and the speed.
0: Talking of his speed, the qualifying head to head between them was 13 9
1: in Lewis's favour. Did that surprise you? You know, these stats are uh, useless because sometimes things swing by a few hundreds in one or the other direction race strategies um favor one driver and not the other we make mistakes in pit stops or safety cars come out at um, opportune or less so but when you're talking about qualifying
0: do you not think that's the purest comparison much purer than the race because of all
1: the factors you've just listed you know if we take out the results that were within a tenth, then maybe the score is a different one so Lewis won the qualifying competition. George won the points competition. Zero relevance. The car is not good enough to win regularly and challenge for for championship, and this is what matters. What's been George's biggest achievement this year? He won his first Formula One race in Brazil, and he won it by being really strong all weekend.
0: George Russell, you are a Formula One race winner. Woo! Come on, team! One, two, unbelievable. Time! This is just the beginning, guys. This is just the beginning. Woo! I knew we could do this. I knew it. I know you weren't there.
1: How difficult was it for you not being there in Brazil? It was another interesting experience that I didn't, think I would have because I was in already in Abu Dhabi, I had some meetings to do there, commercial meetings. And I sat in the hotel room with the full intercom being built up. So I was able to listen and speak to all the channels I would normally have. I had the timing screens built up, the TV feed. So it was literally the same situation like in the garage. I didn't think about being in a being in a hotel because I just immersed into the into the situation. And then when we won, Susie said to me, well, I bet you regret not being there. And I didn't actually, not at all, because it is always about me and the drivers. We are giving interviews, we stand in the spotlight, we're taking all the credit for the work that's been done by others. And me not being there was a sense of pride, pride of the people that were there and pride of the factories and me not taking, taking sunshine away. I heard Shov speaking um, and Bradley and James and they are heart and soul of the team. I couldn't have felt prouder in that moment and I couldn't have felt happier for myself seeing those guys operate the way, the way they did. And how reassuring was it for
0: you that the team was able to win without you on the ground?
1: Well, the last time I was, not so I missed three races in all of my 10 years with Mercedes, the Japan race this year, and uh, then Brazil a few years ago when we already sealed the championship. And I remember that they were all over the place. It ended up in a situation that the team didn't know whether they should pit Lewis or not. And then Lewis said, well, I don't know who asked Lewis whether he thought a pit stop would be good. And he said, well, you guys need to decide. And... Um, And since then, they said, well, it was so bad because now you're coming back because you saw how wrong it went. And uh, as a laugh, of course, and uh, seeing them operate on the level they did all weekend, me not being here is still something that I, you know, I will feel proud forever.
0: Were you tempted to get on a plane when they were starting on the front row?
1: No, that would have been too late and too opportunistic. They made it there without my involvement. And uh, I was tempted on the Thursday making like a last minute jump over the ocean, but then there was too much on and and I needed to be in the Middle East earlier. So yeah, it's good. I I get
0: your point about stealing the limelight, but this is also your family and it was the most competitive weekend of the year.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't matter. I think I would have enjoyed to be, you know, to share those happy moments with the team and seeing them all cheerful and happy and singing and team photos yeah that on one side this is a moment that I would have wanted to feel with everyone but on the other side like I said I feel very happy about not having taken limelight away from the ones that deserve to have it
0: Total maximum points that weekend in Brazil. Did you feel with one race to go that you could catch and beat Ferrari?
1: Well, you have these cycles and I think Ferrari had a pretty bad spell the races before that and we were catching up. And on one hand, I didn't care about finishing second or third. I care about next year. So you have um, more wind tunnel allocation. But we are competitive animals and uh, it plays a role on the bonuses that are paid to the organization and everybody deserves to be in a in a good financial place. So at the end, P2 is what we pushed for and we didn't achieve it.
0: Well, look, while on the subject of Ferrari, can I just ask for your reaction to the news that Mattia Benotto is, is no longer going to be there?
1: I think um, Mattia and I had our moments um it's no secret over these many years but in a way we consolidated that um, in 2022 we were in a much much better place and uh, but it was always clear that he was under tremendous pressure being a team principal at Ferrari you better have a good contract for your exit and um, yeah now now probably the unavoidable happened but he held on to it longer than i thought
0: do you think there is more pressure at ferrari than anywhere else even than what you have to go
1: through absolutely you're representing ferrari you're representing the whole country and uh, they write you up they write you down but with a with a sh- with brutality so yeah certainly team principle of ferrari is probably as an italian even more because as a foreigner you just don't read the news but as an italian uh, clearly you're in the you're in the firing line
0: So imagine you're John Elkin for a minute, Toto. Who would you replace Mattia
1: with? Very difficult to judge because what I said before is there must be Italian managerial talent, even in other industries that have power and intelligence, to manage such a team. And uh, kind of never someone resurfaced, which I don't understand until today. I haven't been headhunting, and I'm not in John's shoes. But it's the most exciting job in Italy, I would say. Do you think you need prior knowledge of Formula One? I believe that we are specialists, and you need to understand motor racing, maybe more than, than just only Formula One. But it's such a niche where the sport, the regulations, the governing body, the commercial rights holder, the competitors, all of us are basically locked in in this paddock cage. You need to be politically stewed. So it's a very niche specialist environment. And the more you know about the sport, the better it is, but you don't want to be a one trick pony either. And you can be a good racing manager and not understand uh, about anything that's going on, you know, commercially or outside in the world. Would
0: the 2012
1: Toto Wolf?
0: Prior to you getting involved with Mercedes, would he have been interested in that job?
1: Well, everybody says he wouldn't have been interested in being team principal of Ferrari. Just simply doesn't tell the truth. I had to, you know, I had to pinch myself until today that Daimler gave me the opportunity of becoming um, managing partner and co-shareholder. It's something that I feel tremendously proud. But equally, if Ferrari would have come around the corner Uh, miraculously offered me such a position, you know, uh, it would have been the same. You're fluent in Italian, aren't you? Well, Italians (laughs) are saying I'm good in Italian because they want to be, um, they want to make me happy, but I'm not sure you could call it fluent.
0: And uh, final question on Matthias is, he's obviously looking for a job in due course. I don't know how long, how long a time that'll be, but could we ever see him with his,
1: technical prowess getting a job with you or at HPP or will that never happen no I think there was too much porcelain broken between us over the last few years that this would be possible um, with the other teams I can't say there's certainly Mattia understands Formula One inside out and um, yeah maybe he finds a role in another team Audi maybe well there's many out there that yeah could be targets
0: now look while we're talking jobs with Nick de Vries heading to Alfa Tauri next year, how seriously did you consider taking Daniel Ricciardo as your third
1: driver next year? Well, first of all, I'm happy for Nick that he's found a race seat because he deserves it. He was um, such a strong contributor in Mercedes' racing history, winning the world championship in Formula E. It was a no-brainer to, to let him go. And uh, as uh, for Daniel, I mean, everybody knows what um, you have on Daniel. He's a, he's a great personality. I still believe that he's a great racing driver. Whatever, whatever happened in McLaren is quite difficult to understand, but you don't unlearn how to drive. You know, that, that remains a mystery, but we spoke to him about um, options, but it never went to a point that we said, okay, uh, you know, let's, let's seriously consider going that way. He said on the show last week that he
0: was suffering from burnout. Do you ever feel in danger of that?
1: I didn't know that he said that, but absolutely yes. Burnout is a is just a name for um, a mental health issue, you know, whether this is anxiety, depression, um or just being totally depleted of your emotional or physical or mental um power. And uh, that can happen and of course it's going to affect your driving and your professional life as it will your, uh, your private life.
0: But he also seemed quite excited about taking a sabbatical, taking some time away. I think he's going to go and ride a motorbike across America, do Route 66 and fun things like that. When you hear of someone doing something like that, is there a little bit of you that's jealous? Is there stuff on your bucket list that you've been unable to do because you're just so busy?
1: no i'm trying to really live my life to the fullest and uh it's susie's birthday tomorrow on the 6th i said what do you want to do as a special celebration and she said well i think we're doing it every day and we're happy every day and she's right so i'm trying you know waking up wake up with the mindset of let's do the the most out of um out of the day but not always possible sometimes you you you're just not happy but as a matter of fact uh, there is no such thing as a as a bucket list uh, there's lots of things to dream of but at the moment what i do how we live is um, is what i really enjoy so with no nick
0: de Vries, no daniel ricardo who is the man most likely to to fulfill that third driver role for you me <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that i think you've been doing more driving in recent years than you did when you first came into Formula One is that right yeah more fun driving <laughs> George th- Russell actually was talking on this podcast about uh, he did some ice driving with you in Austria and uh, I think it was last winter and he said that I said who was quickest he said well I was quickest but Toto reckons that I was cutting the corners is that right I
1: <laughs> well I think he was quickest just <laughs> But I'm actually happy that he was quickest because it would have been not good for his career if I, you know if the record would have been with me. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, obviously I, I I'm not racing anymore because I had an ambition, and if you do what you do, you're not well prepared. But we do occasionally uh, fool around the track uh, with with Lewis and George, or I did it, we did it with Valtteri on in um, AMG cars or little race cars and or nice. And the competitive in me then, then comes up. But uh, yeah, they are racing drivers. I'm a an entrepreneur and uh, obviously it wouldn't be right if I beat them. So you're not going to be the
0: third driver. What about Mick Schumacher? Everyone seems to be associating him with the team. And I think you've actually said that it would be a good fit. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I think
1: you've um, it certainly implied that. I really like Mick and I like the family how they have raised um, their kids with this unbelievably famous name. And I think he deserves a chance. He he won the Junior Series and uh, that is not easy. And uh, things can go, can go against you in your first years in Formula 1 and then he was under pressure to deliver and that doesn't help. And Formula 1 is brutal. So maybe in a way having a year off as a third driver, similar to what Daniel does, can be good um, to reassess yourself and bring yourself better in a, in a better place and then hopefully find a seat again. Has
0: he impressed you
1: this year in Haas? He always impressed me from his personality. The first time I met him, which was in his first year in Formula 3 in Hockenheim, he's just a, he's just a good person and one F3, one F2 and as I said before, that can't come out of nowhere for listeners who don't know, were you close to Michael Schumacher? It was interesting. The answer is no. But when I entered Formula One with the more active role in Williams in 2012, I met him. And um, then I took the role in 2013 and became a shareholder of Mercedes. And throughout that year, um, I was lucky enough to spend time with him. And... uh, that clicked, but obviously we weren't given the time.
0: And in terms of character, is Mick a chip off the old block?
1: Well, obviously everyone is different and I wouldn't do Mick nor Michael any justice by you know, commenting here on their characters. Certainly Mick is, a, like I said before, he's an intelligent young man that can drive. Toto, just a
0: couple of other things. Formula One is in rude health at the moment, but when you look at the
1: big picture, What do you see as the sport's biggest threats, if there are any? We're having a macro threat at the moment. We're seeing that the world is burning in many places. And um, that will have already has consequences in the, you know, economic world as well that matters less than than the real impact, but we're going to see some ramification in Formula 1. So we must never be too confident that just because the sport is very popular at that stage that the trajectory is always going to be steep upwards. But um, people want to be entertained. We're putting on a great show. And as long as we're doing our part of the job, uh, Formula 1 has relevance.
0: And do you think the new rules have done what was asked of them?
1: yeah i think i mean i like the look of the looks of the cars and um, the racing seems to be better so let's give it time with the winter allocation and the budget cap we should see more teams becoming competitive um, hopefully fighting for podiums and wins in a few years and this is what makes the sport will make the sport more exciting
0: what's on your job list at the start of 2023 i mean Are you going to start thinking about Lewis's new contract then? Are you confident that he's going to re-sign?
1: Well, the job list is pretty long in (laughs) what's needed to be done, but certainly Lewis's contract um, is, um, is one of the topics that we will tackle over the winter. But there is no firm deadline. Are you confident that he'll stay? Absolutely. I mean, Lewis is part of the team and the team is part of Lewis. No reason to not continue.
0: And do you see a season like the one you've just had, Has that made him even hungrier
1: to get back to the front?
0: Or is that not possible with him because he's such a formidable competitor at the best of times?
1: I think one of his strengths is that he's, he's, he's always hungry. He's always eager. He is a great sportsman, but he's also someone that's extremely driven and determined.
0: Well, Toto, it's been brilliant to catch up. Thank you very much for your time. Great to come to Monaco. Enjoy the off season. How do you even get an off season?
1: No, there is no more thing, such thing as off-season because you're coming back from the racing and and you just work along. And now these two weeks I, or three weeks after the last race, I actually enjoy because I spend more time in the office with the, with the people that are doing all the hard work in Brackley and also in Bricksworth. So, um, no, it stops um, before Christmas.
0: All right, have a good break, however short that is. And um, good luck next year. Thank you, Tom. It's always interesting to get Toto's take on things, especially after a season like the one Mercedes has just had. And it's typical of him to have such a balanced, objective view on everything that's happened. But he's lost none of the love for the job, has he? He's as passionate and committed as ever. In fact, he really gives you the impression that running the Mercedes Formula One team is bucket list territory for him. Not that he believes in bucket lists. Toto, many thanks for your time and please enjoy whatever off season you get with Susie and the family. And we'll catch up again at a racetrack very soon. As ever, please send in your thoughts and stories on Toto. What did you make of Merck's 2022 season and do you think they can challenge for race wins plural in 2023? Let me know at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid, which segues beautifully into what you sent in about Daniel Ricciardo after last week's show. He's such a fun guy, isn't he? And as I talk about him now, I find myself wondering what he's up to as he begins his gap year predominantly away from the racetrack. Let's start with this great story from Angela D. I met Daniel in early November after Marcus Mumford's show in New York. I had a hunch he'd be there, tweeted about it, and he sure was. I called out to him and said I was a McLaren fan. He waved back and came over for a photo because I was shaking with excitement. It came out blurry. And after the crowd helped me chant his name, he generously came back for a retake. Everyone cheered. What a great guy. I want to thank him for his kindness and for giving me a moment I'll cherish forever. I love that story, Angela. And let's go next to Shakira. Not that one, surely. I had a good laugh during the is eating gold good for you bit. DR is the driver who got me interested in F1 and it was a joy to hear from him. I'm from Iowa, and if he needs any road trip tips for the Midwest, I'm happy to help. I'll let you know if he gets in touch, Shakira. But having now seen his planned route, I think he's going pretty much all over the USA. And finally, let's go to Chasmeister Racing. It sounded like you both had a good laugh. I'm glad Daniel is keeping his foot in the door with Red Bull because I trust Christian and Helmut in helping him find a seat in 2024. I know Daniel still has it because you don't forget how to race quick overnight. I think that's a thought held by much of the F1 paddock, Chasmeister Meister, including Toto Wolff. Now, look, thank you to everyone who wrote in. We read all of your messages, even if I don't have time to read yours out here. Well, that's pretty much it for this episode, but if you're looking for something else to listen to, how about our interview with Toto's chief rival, Red Bull's Christian Horner, or the outgoing Ferrari team principal, Mattia Benotto? Toto also comes up in our recent episodes with Daniel Ricciardo and George Russell. Tap the links in the episode description to find those interviews. And thanks so much for your ratings and reviews. Do leave one if you haven't already. And of course, thank you for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.